friends. Welcome to the She Impacts Culture podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Bennett. Every month, I host a conversation with a trailblazing woman who is using her God-given voice, expertise, and influence to make a difference. This is a community created and designed for women of faith who want to lead with influence and impact culture for Christ in their corner of the world. But this month, I have my first and probably only male guest on the podcast. If you haven't listened to part one with Jordan Rayner yet, be sure to do so. You will love it. And guess what? Part two is just as impactful. In today's episode, Jordan and I chat through the truth that our work is not secondary or secular, that passion follows mastery, why the pursuit of excellence in our work matters, and how to stick around when you don't love your job. Friends, this is another power-packed episode with Jordan. Get ready because once again, you'll be encouraged and empowered to pursue the work that God has called you to with excellence. Know today what you do matters. God didn't just create in the beginning, but he also created as a carpenter, which I think is just amazing, in the person of Jesus. And so what does Jesus's vocation mean for us? I mean, I think that is amazing that Jesus had a vocation when he was doing his earthly ministry. It's pretty mind-boggling. Given the trajectory of Jesus's life, his ultimate purpose for coming to earth, which was to preach the gospel in word and deed. The fact that he spent the vast majority, most scholars estimate 80% of his life working as a carpenter should stop us in our tracks. Yeah, God could have easily chosen for Jesus to grow up in a priestly household, like John the Baptist, where he spent all day praying. He could have chosen for Jesus to grow up in the home of a Pharisee, like Paul. Right. Where he would focus on studying the scriptures all day long. Yep. But instead, he placed him in the home of essentially a small business owner. Right. Where he spent his days making things with his hands. Right. And on the surface, I think that appears shocking to a lot of people. But I would argue it's the least surprising thing in the entire Bible. Because the work of Jesus's earthly father wasn't all that different from the work of his heavenly one, right? right? (laughs) So, and by the way, I love this too. Like Jesus reaffirmed this idea, the goodness of regular work when he called his disciples, right? When he launched the kingdom of God, he didn't choose religious professionals, right? He picked fishermen and tax collectors, right? So what does this mean for you and me? It means that the work we're doing today in culture isn't secondary. It's not secular. It is good and God-like. It is part of how God has historically and will in the present and the future bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, beautiful. Yes. And our work is not secular. Man, because we hear that all the time. If you're not in ministry, well, you're in the secular marketplace. And I wonder what kind of effect that has on people in their mind. Let's break this down in 30 seconds. Let's obliterate this theology in 30 seconds. What does secular mean? Secular means without God. Yeah. Do we believe that the believers who are working in corporate America and as entrepreneurs are filled with the Holy Spirit? 
Of course we do. Then how in the world could that work be secular? Please stop saying this. Let's obliterate this from the church's vocabulary. Exactly. My goodness. I so agree. Okay. So let's chat about the belief that we have to be good at everything. So in one of your other books, Master of One, which I also absolutely love, you encourage your readers to know what their one thing is so that they can stop trying to do it all and instead thrive in their unique God-given work. So how do we step away from the mindset of trying to be good at all things? And how do we find our one thing? I'll tell you, I feel like for me, I kind of describe myself as someone who is multi-passionate. I have so many different interests and things that I'm like, oh, that would be fun. Oh, that would be fun. You know, so how do we find our one thing and how do we step away from trying to do it all, which I think ultimately ends up leaving us just kind of grabbing at all these different things and not ever really fulfilling maybe that one thing that we were called to do. Yeah. Yeah, Explain that a little bit. Yeah. It's a good question. Anytime I'm asked about this book, I'd love to clarify on the front end. There is no biblical mandate for focus like this, for being a master of one. I do believe there's a strong biblical mandate for the pursuit of excellence in all things. And Master of one is just a strategy to that end. Yeah. Where do I see the biblical pursuit, uh, command to, to pursue excellence? We're image bearers. We are called to image and reflect God of the world. Look outside your window. Look around creation. How does God work? He works with supreme excellence. And thus, we are called to image and reflect that as his children out in the world. Yeah. Right? That's the baseline foundation. And honestly, you're really seeing that in this children's book, The Creator in You. Okay, so how do we do that? The hypothesis of Master of One was that, and honestly, this is somewhat autobiographical because I was for years a jack of all trades, master of none. And that's tragic because mediocrity doesn't love my neighbor as myself. Mm. Only mastery does. And I would argue that we can't get masterfully good at anything vocationally if we're doing a lot of different things vocationally in the same season of life. And I do think your one thing, quote unquote, changes in different seasons. But if you're going to be excellent at home and at work, there's just not enough hours in a day to master more than one vocation at the same time. The numbers just don't add up. If you also care about getting eight hours of sleep every night, which PS is a prerequisite for getting really good at what you do, right? (laughs) So that's how I, so your question, how do you do it? Very simple four-step framework that I proposed in the book based on tons of interviews with some of the most world-class Christ followers. Step one, you got to experiment a lot. Yes. The book's all about choosing your one thing and focusing on it. But before that, you got to spend years trying lots of different things, experimenting with lots of things to find the thing you can do best in service of others. I don't think there's a magical Mr. Right for our careers, right? I I think that's how we treat calling a lot of times. Oh, there's this one thing that God has hidden somewhere in the world for me to do. And I want a wild goose chase to find it. It's like, what? Like, first of all, I actually don't think God cares at all what we choose to do. I think he cares about our heart. I think he cares about the process by which we do it. But so long as the work itself isn't out of line with God's commands, I don't think he cares at all what we do because he could choose whoever he wants to do whatever work he wants. Yeah. Right. So step one, experiment. Step two, 
You got to make a choice. At some point, you got to say, okay, out of all these things I've tried, this is the thing I could do most exceptionally well in service of God's glory and the good of others, right? And then once you've made that choice, step three, you got to eliminate. You got to cut a lot of things off of your professional plate, make really hard choices, say no to good things that are simply not the best thing. And then step four, to be honest, really isn't a step. It's a lifelong process of mastery, right? Of really honing in on the keys to mastery, which I describe in that book, which are real quickly, number one, apprenticeships, number two, purposeful practice, and then number three, plain old discipline over time. You got to stick with something long enough to not just fall in love with it, but stay in love with it. And how do you do that? By getting crazy good at what you do. Yeah, that's so good. And I do. I think for many of us, we've been brought up to think or believe that there is this one thing. I mean, I see it with my college students. They get stressed out that they have to know their one thing upon graduation or when they first step into the college classroom. They have to know exactly what they're going to major in and have their entire life figured out. And I tell them all the time, I say, guys, I'm 47. And it's just now that I'm seeing all the puzzle pieces of my life, all of the experiences that I've had form this beautiful picture of what God has equipped me to do. And I'm 47 and I've had all, I mean, I was a youth minister, a middle school teacher, a high school teacher, a school administrator. Then I got back into social media and communication and all of these different things. And it's just now that I'm feeling like, okay, God, this is what I am called to do. This is what I do with excellence. This is after having all of these experiences. And so I love that you bring that up because I think if we get caught up in waiting for God to ride across the sky, our one big thing for the rest of our life, I think we're going to be looking forever. Yeah, I think so too. I think we're going to be waiting until we get to the new earth and God's like, here's what I created you to do. Right. Go have fun doing it for the rest of eternity. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you've also mentioned that sticking with a difficult job can be the very thing that God uses to change your work from something you loathe or merely tolerate into a job you truly love. Yeah. So again, I know I've got listeners who are in some difficult positions right now and they yeah. see no way out. So how do we stick around when we don't love our job and how do we know if God is calling us to stay or go? Because this is a question that I see quite often that people are asking, well, how do I know if I take this next position? How do I know if God is saying, nope, I want you to stick around even though this position is hard right now? Yeah. You're not going to know ever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, I, I don't know where we got this idea that like we got to wait around for perfect peace to make a call and make a, oh, make a move. Yeah. This isn't what Abraham did. Abraham stepped out in faith, even though he didn't know where he was going. He had no idea. Right. And that's who's in the hall of faith that we see in Hebrews. Right. So I don't think you ever, quote unquote, no. I do think this requires a heck of a lot of prayer, a lot of discernment, a lot of conversations with other Christ followers. But at some point, you just got to exercise your God-given freedom to choose. Yes. And here's the deal. There's no plan B for God. The Lord's purposes will always prevail, says the writer of Proverbs, right? His plans will always prevail. What does that mean? It means you can't make a wrong decision. It's impossible for a Christian to make a decision that's going to thwart God's purposes. And if that's what you care about ultimately, man, that frees you to just make 
choices. It just pick a lane. Anyways, back to this question. I, I, I want to address this idea that like staying in the job can actually bring you joy long-term because there's really good academic data to support this. You know, the hypothesis that kids hear a lot these days is like, follow your passions, follow your dreams into the job that you love. Like that's how to find work that's going to make you happy. Yeah, the problem is Gallup tells us that this generation who grew up hearing that advice at work and has had more opportunities than any generation before to do the work that makes them happy is the least happy generation at right. work. Like <laughs> clearly the strategy is severely flawed, right? And it shouldn't surprise Christ followers, right? Because we're to model our lives after Jesus who came to serve first rather than to be served. He prioritized mm. the joy and the happiness of others above his own happiness. So there's this researcher at Yale named Amy Resneski, who's like quantified this phenomenon. She spent her whole career studying what leads people to describe their work as a calling as opposed to a job or a career, right? And she studied this with doctors, computer programmers, college administrative assistants, and the data is fascinating and incredibly consistent across all these groups. The number one factor of somebody describing their work as a calling is not whether or not they had a pre-existing passion before they started the work. The number one predictor is the number of years they have spent practicing that craft, right? In other words, passion follows mastery not the other way around. We get to love what we do by getting crazy good at it. Right? So if you're listening right now and you're like, Jordan, I hate my job. Yeah, maybe the Lord is calling you to leave. That very may well be the right path for you, but he also may be calling you to stay and just get crazy good at it and focus on bringing joy to others before you bring joy to yourself. And in the end, I think you get both. Yeah. Yeah. What a great tip for us. Focus on bringing joy to others before yourself, because we have it backwards. Well, if I'm not happy, I'm out of here. You know, if these people aren't making me happy, I'm out of here. And choosing to bring joy to others is so countercultural. Man, what a beautiful difference. Again, we can make in the marketplace by choosing yeah. to do that. And who knows just what God will do when you change your mind, your mindset, when you shift your attitude and look at the work that you've been given to do at this point, at this season in your life. Amen. Wow. Well said. So I want to go back to your new book because I have a 12 year old boy and I cannot wait to get this book and share it with him. So it's called The Creator in You. And I want to know how do you think this book will help shape the answer to the question that kids get asked all the time, which is, what do you want to be yeah. when you grow up? And here's my question for you, because I've been thinking about this quite a bit. Do you think this is a good question we should be asking our kids? Or do you think that's adding to the pressure of them having to try to figure it all out? That's a really good question. <laughs> Let's tackle that first. I think it is good. I think it's good for them to dream about work in a positive light while they're still young to do that, right? But I do think we're asking our kids to choose their quote unquote one thing way too early in life way too early in life. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. anyways, 
how is this book? How's the creator of you gonna gonna change the way they answer that question? My prayer is that it vastly expands the horizons of what type of work honors and glorifies God, right? You know, Act Three, the the last third of this book is really trying to show the kids, you know, tons of different types of work that bring glory to the father. There's one page that says, um, create new businesses and movies, medicine and hope, make laws or computers or a new telescope. Because when you do these things, when you work or you make something new, you're doing what God has made you to do, right? So one of my mm-hmm. dreams for this book, and honestly, for the rest of my work, is that kids would grow up, they would graduate high school, and they would see careers as programmers, as pastors, as parents and plumbers as equally capable of advancing the kingdom of God. And I think this book can help them catch that vision really early on. Yes, I love that. So what can we as parents do to help our kids see their current and future work with purpose, enthusiasm, and joy? I know the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get the book. I'm going to read it with my son. So what can we do on the home front? Like, what are you doing with your children um so that we can help instill in them my goodness the the uh, incredible possibilities that we can experience through our work so first of all i want to call this out i love that you're excited to share this with your 12 year old yeah because if you go on amazon and search for the creator on you it says it's for i think like three to seven year olds yeah but we were talking about this before we start recording i wrote this for adults yeah I can't uh, like a hundred percent. And I'm gonna probably read it to my students in my class. Yeah, and like and like it's why we chose the illustrator that we did. It's so hard to talk about this book on podcast, but if you want to see the art, uh go to jordanrainer.com and we've got the art up right there. It is epic. Yeah. It is not cartoony because I want kids of all ages to get this. I yeah. want I want kids graduating college to receive this book yes. as a graduation gift, right? So, anyways. What can we do to help our kids view their work with purpose, enthusiasm, and joy beyond the creator and you? One thing I'm doing right now is I'm just being super intentional around the dinner table of talking about the best part of my work day, Mm. right? Because so much of our conversations and language around our kids is about what we hate about work. We say things like, you know, thank God it's Friday or, oh man, mommy can't wait for the weekend. It's like, I'm not saying... We don't talk about the challenges we we should, but if we want our kids to view work with joy, we got to talk about the good stuff too. So I'll say something like, like tonight when we have dinner, I'll say, hey girls, man, I, I got to talk to this amazing woman that I want you to be like one day, Dr. Jen Bennett. Mm. And man, she just like, she leads this whole community of women who are like excited about the work they're doing in the world. And guys, like it was, it was such a joy to do that. Mm. Or I'll say something like kids, I'm still executive chairman of the tech startup that I ran for years. And so I'll say something like, Hey guys, I heard from our CEO today that we signed up another customer. We get to help somebody like solve a problem at work. How cool is that? Right. We play two truths and one lie around the table every night at dinner (laughs) and the kids go and we go too. And like, that's like a really easy way to work that in. And I just try to make sure that at least one of them is telling them something good about the work that God's doing in and through my work. Yeah, those are such great ideas. Wow, so good. 
Okay, here's my last question for you. Because right. quite honestly, I could talk to you for the whole day about this topic. So as you know, I'm a college professor. I work with a lot of college students, students who have told me that they are listening in. So many of these students are getting ready to enter into the marketplace and start their careers. So what advice do you have for them as it relates to work, leadership, faith and influence? I know that's a loaded question, but you know, we've got a whole new generation of students who are looking for jobs. They want to make their mark. They want to lead. They want to make a difference. What advice do you have for them? I want to share Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 with them. You know, if you college students grew up in the church, you probably memorized verses 8 and 9. My bet is you haven't memorized verse 10 attached to it, but the connection could not be more important. Here's the verse. Ephesians 2, 8, 8 and 9, Paul is saying, hey, we've been saved by faith, not by works so that nobody can boast, right? So your status, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, your status as an adopted child of God is secure regardless of what you do professionally, regardless of your, if you're an epic success or epic failure, the father's love of you never changes. You can make a billion dollars and give it away to quote unquote full-time ministry. And God loves you no more, no more. There are different rewards for doing that. There are different eternal rewards for doing that, but his love and your status is secure. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But Ephesians 2, 10 says, okay, we haven't been saved by our works, but Ephesians 2, 10 says that we have been saved for good works. It says we have been created in Christ Jesus, i.e. saved, i.e. redeemed, for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What's Paul saying? He's saying that the very purpose of your life is to go to work tomorrow, go to work in your career and do good works, do your work with excellence and love as a means of making Jesus winsome to the world. And a lot of people hear this verse and say, Oh, well, Jordan, when Paul and Jesus talk about us doing good works, they're talking about giving money to charity and sharing the gospel with people. Uh, yes. And if you look up this Greek word Paul uses, it's a Greek word called ergon, E-R-G-O-N. Go look it up in any biblical concordance. The definition I find in every concordance is this word means work, task, and employment. So the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do include going and starting a business and raising a family, right? Uh, and going and working in corporate America. All of those are good work that he has called you to do. So go do it in accordance with his commands and as a means of advancing the kingdom of God. Oh, I love that. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, I am just hyped like for the rest of my day. I'm so, so excited. This was so good, Jordan. I think I'm also going to tell my students to listen in once this podcast goes live. I want them to hear all of this because I think it's just so important for them as they are getting ready to launch into all that God has for them. Okay, so here's my real last question. How can listeners best connect and partner with you online? And then when is, is the creator and you officially for sale now on Amazon? Yep. You can get it right now on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And if you do, 
head on over to jordanrainer.com, J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-Y-N-O-R.com. We get a form there. If you send me, even if you're an adult, I'll even dedicate the book to you. Put in your name, your name or the name of your kids and your address. And I'm going to send you this beautiful decorative sticker with your name on it. So it'll say to Dr. Jen, may you always abound in the creativity of the father. And then I'm signing it. And if your kids are like mine, the two things they love most in this world are number one, receiving physical mail. They go nuts. And number two, stickers. So we're checking all the boxes. And then while you're there at jordanrainer.com, make sure you check out the tons of free content we have to help you go deeper in some of the biblical truths that we've explored in this podcast. Awesome. Jordan, goodness, welcome. Congratulations on being the first male on the (laughs) Achievement Unlocked. Yes. Yes, exactly. This has been fabulous. Please keep doing the good work that you are doing because it has impacted my life. I know that it's impacting the lives of others. And I just want to say thank you for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge with my listeners today on the She Impacts Culture podcast. It's been my joy. Thank you. Friends, isn't Jordan the best? Seriously, if you have not read any of his books, be sure to do so. You will love them. And I'll tell you, I'm ordering my copy of The Creator in You today. I cannot wait to read this book. I cannot wait to share this book with my son. And I can't wait to share this book with my college students. But guess what? I want to give away a free copy of The Creator in You to one of my listeners today. And that means it could be you. So here's what you need to do. Number one, follow Jordan and I on Instagram. You can find him at Jordan Rayner and you can find me at Dr. Jen Bennett. Number two, on my Instagram profile, under my post about this episode, leave me a comment about what you enjoyed in this episode or what stood out to you. Tag Jordan in your comment too. I want him to read your words about how this podcast, this episode has positively impacted you. And then that's it. At the end of the week, I'll pick a winner from the comments and a copy of the creator in you will be sent your way. Friends, I'm so excited about the work that God has called you to. Know today that what you do matters. It has eternal significance.